From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. This is the Imagine a Place podcast, where we explore the power of place and the role of design in our lives. Today's episode is a big deal. Okay, it would be an honor to have either Edward or Will on Imagine a Place, but having them both is huge. This one quite literally packs in twice the amount of insight into one episode. Our head of global research was showing the research that they've done around human experience right now, and I was struck by one of the things that people have commented on during the pandemic, they were able to get more sleep. It's not that they worked less, They just actually had better sleep and got more sleep. And she was talking about how we have to figure out the good experiences people have had and define that experience before we can start redefining the office. Edward Wagner is the CIO for the progressive-minded $17 billion global real estate firm, JLL. Will Caldogrucci is the founder and CEO of InfoGrid. InfoGrid's a fast-growing startup aimed at making buildings smarter and making the world healthier. These two are thinking about the intersection of real estate and technology at the highest level. And with 90% of our time spent indoors, the stakes are high. In today's conversation, we'll talk about technology's role in the human experience of place. We'll talk IoT, Internet of Things, and we'll let Edward and Will make some bold predictions for what's ahead of us. But perhaps the most valuable lesson in today's chat is hearing Edward open up about his personal journey through self-change and organizational change. That was a powerful moment inside our conversation. I hope you enjoy my chat with Will and Edward. Well, I want to get into uh, some juicy questions around tech. Uh, I want you to bring that diverse background that you both have and, and bring your perspective onto these questions. And I, I kind of want to skip the easy stuff because, you know, I, I don't want I don't want this to be the same old questions that you always hear. So I'm just going to start with a rating, okay? So when you think about technology and real estate or the intersection of technology and the work experience we have today, one to 10, 10 being we're uh, we're exactly where we should be. One being, you know, we're nowhere close to where we should be in terms of embracing technology. Where are we on that scale right now? You go first, Will. I wrote my answer down, and we'll see if we are the same place. Yeah, zero point three, I think, in terms of actual deployment and execution. Right, about three percent penetration of fully smart, well, not even fully smart, sort of somewhat smart buildings globally. I think in terms of of mindset and uh, the existence of the technology and the ecosystem that supports the innovation, we're much further along, probably a sort of five, six, possibly pushing a seven. But in terms of adoption and uh, kind of moving that oil tanker around, we are right at the beginning. And it's... uh, yeah, it's both exciting and a heavy lift, I guess. It, it needs um, lovers and fighters, right? We've got to fight for this change. And we've got to have people who uh, really love seeing that that happen uh, in institutions that really haven't seen much change for 50 plus years. 
I gave it a one. I wrote that down before Will said anything. And the reason I say that is if you think about the world of real estate, it's a very old profession. If you think about the Great Pyramids, though, that there were a lot of real estate expertise that went into building those. Think about the Empire State Building. Real estate mm. people built that with no technology. So for years, we've been able to do things with without technology. If you think about offices and buildings, we build them and they last for a generation. So there's not a lot of opportunity or in some cases imperative to go in and retrofit. We were seeing some trends pre-pandemic where people were realizing we need more flexibility. We need to be smarter. There's opportunities. I think the pandemic really accelerated those. That was where the world, you know, we're, we're not arguing about can we do remote work? We proved it. The world proved it in the pandemic. Now the question is how much should we have remote work with various companies? We, you know, people before, you know, I don't know about you, Will, but nobody ever asked about indoor air quality except maybe engineers in the building. But the average occupant didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. Now people are asking or inquiring. And then probably the, the last comment, because we could really explore this one for, uh, for hours, it's around data. If you think about, uh, so, so during the pandemic, we commissioned uh, uh, Forrester to do research, and they talked to over 300 global real estate groups. And their finding was, most people will talk about how they're using their data, but they're overconfident. They're overconfident in their capabilities. And when you start thinking about the amount of data, just, just from what Will does that, that's produced, and then I just got off of a call right before this with our global head of research, and we were talking about the technology trends that we're tracking and that we need to be focused on. Last week, I was on Forbes with MIT's head research for real estate. She's tracking emerging technologies. She's got a tracker that's available to everyone. And when you look at that, you know, she's talking about things like programmable concrete, as an example, or airmed fibers. Mm. And so when you start thinking about all that, if we're overconfident now, just think about what's about to hit us. And so that's why I give us a one. We've done a lot of great things, but there's so much more opportunity, so much more capability. And if you think about what you're seeing in, in the press about people leaving jobs or people wanting more flexibility or more choice or people wanting to be safe, that demand is there also. It's going gonna, it's gonna to matter when people choose where to work, what buildings they want to be in, and most importantly, which buildings uh, the investors invest in. Yeah, I, I think that as a society, I, I agree, where we have awoken to a lot of things. You know, just that your comment around air quality was one of those things where you're right. It was something we didn't ignore. We just weren't educated about. As it relates to kind of this next level thinking around tech, and I'm going to relate it just to the Internet of Things, okay? I know that's a big space for you, Will. Is society ready to embrace the full potential of the Internet of Things? Uh, I think, it, it, so this is like asking somebody if they're ready to eat an entire Thanksgiving dinner to themselves, right? Like, not in one sitting uh, is the answer, right? Well, maybe there's a few people, but... Um, most of the time, it's you, you've got to you've got to uh, you've got to take one bite at a time, right? Pick your analogy. The, the the pyramids that Eddie were talking about, they were built one brick at a time. Uh, any thousand mile journey is one step at a time. And and I think the most important thing, actually, when you talk about society as whole, is is 
change management and, and psychology, like it's very daunting to if you, if you think about oh my god you know smart building technology really uh, fundamentally different way of looking at, at real estate needn't be that way right you can you can start with an individual step so say air quality right like let's start with that I always describe this as a Swiss Army knife right okay first of all I need the knife let's let's say uh, that's air quality then I'm gonna do another very popular one at the moment is occupancy and for you know planning or smart cleaning or whatever it may be okay that's the bottle opener right. Uh, then I'm going to go to the corkscrew for uh, preventative maintenance, or then I'm going to open the scissors for um, uh, smart cleaning, whatever it may be. You don't necessarily have to take all those tools out at once. In fact, that might make it quite hard to hold the knife. Um, but you want to, whatever you're doing, you want to plan in a uh, scalable, future-proof way. So if you're going to go out and buy a knife, buy one that's got lots of tools that you can take out later when you need them, rather than a really simple one where you're going to need to buy 10 new knives along the way. Um, you'll learn this. I speak in analogies, right? So <laughs> you'll hear a lot more of these. Um, I love that. I love the, I love the analogy of the Swiss Army knife. And it's really easy to visualize. And when I think back on, you know, getting my first Swiss Army knife, I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on a tangent here. <laughs> Perfect. I love tangent. <laughs> that, that corkscrew takes up a large part of that knife, you know, yet... I mean, at what moment during survival are you thinking, you know, like, I need to pop open a <laughs> bottle of wine, you know? <laughs> I mean... It's, it's for the most important point of surviving, right? It's after you have survived and you've got back to civilization, then you have wine to toast your survival, right? That's, that's right. The... I mean, is there a tool? Is there a tool like that right now that's like, we're, we're giving this, we're paying way too much attention to this and we should be focusing over here on something. So I think this is where the analogy becomes shaky as an analogy but I mean the short answer is yes but it's kind of hidden right so um, the sort of macro elephant in the room that's becoming increasingly visible is, is ESG right so again you'll hear me talk about this a lot uh, buildings account for 39% of global emissions and they account for 90% of our time so we are always in buildings right if you don't make buildings sustainable and healthy you're not going to have a sustainable planet and a healthy population that's just the reality and so Things like air quality, they're a component of it, right? But a whole healthy ecosystem of a building, it needs a lot more than that. There is no sensor for an overall healthy building or sustainable building. That's an amalgamation of data feeds from a lot of different points, right? So to understand how healthy my building is, I want to understand, first of all, how many people are in it, because that will give me a reference point for so many different things, right? Uh, then I might want my air quality. I want my hygiene and cleanliness. I want... Um, my water safety, all uh, you know, my um, uh, trash and recycling, all of these kind of things uh, ultimately give me that final reading, but I need to build up to them. So I think that's the equivalent of our corkscrew, is kind of ultimately getting to that sustainable and healthy building in a macro sense as a point, as opposed to addressing those point problems. And we've always, you know, as InfoGrid, we've always set off with that ultimate goal in mind, make it like that Swiss Army knife, make it uh, modular and therefore scalable and interoperable. I'm going to I'm going to roll with his Thanksgiving analogy for a quick second. Um if I were to say so I'm from the American South if you can't tell by the accent and if I were to say would you like some oyster stuffing? Most people say no and then I'll say have you ever tried it? No. Well then how do you know you don't like it? And I think a lot of people when we talk to them about opportunities with technology and real estate they say no. They don't even 
take the time mm. to try to understand so they can make a better informed decision. So I think lesson number one from the analogy is we've got to stop saying no and you've got to find out why are people talking about it and, and proposing it. And I'm not necessarily talking about somebody selling to you, but what are others doing around? What's, you know, JLL? Why is JLL looking at it? What's the impact? The second thing, and I'm going to stick with that Thanksgiving, you know, Will talked about everything laid out. Have you ever been to a big family gathering and somebody realized there was a dish back on the stove that somebody forgot to put out? You're missing stuff <laughs> if you're not looking around. We, we get used to what we know, whether it's that Thanksgiving buffet or the technology stack, or if I think about real estate, what we do in the building, we need to expand our horizons because the people that use the building, buildings aren't important, people are. Imagine a global real estate company executive saying what I just said. The buildings aren't important, it's the people that use the buildings. They're the ones that are most important. When they come into the building, it's not about what Will's doing in the building or what I'm doing in the building, it's how they experience it. And that experience is across everything we do, and in some cases beyond what we're doing now. And so we got to look back on, you know, behind us and around us to see the other opportunities that are there. So Edward, I, I want to ask a question about that. What are, what are some ways that buildings will become more human, or we will humanize the building experience um, that maybe are seem outlandish right now, but you're tracking these and watching these? So I, I think there, um, I can give you some thoughts on what we're doing and thinking today, but I will tell you just like the, the buffet, you need to keep looking around. You need to keep asking questions. I referenced the, uh, the MIT research. They actually made a comment just last week that we have done, I start to say bad job. We've done no job on data science around human experience. It just does not exist. So what you want when you walk into a building and what I want when I walk in could be two different things. Historically, and if I think about where I am generationally, when I started my career, it was, here's your job, here's your desk, it's nine to five, work hard for 40 years and get a pension. And my generation, we did that because as my father said, there's a reason they call it work. If you look at the younger generation coming in, they realize that they have an incredible amount of flexibility in their lives. They can manage multiple things with one, you know, I won't call it a seamless interface, but there's a lot I can do in my personal life. There's a lot I've been able to do in the pandemic, whether it's ordering food, ordering supplies, doing webinars like this from my home, that is a much better experience than what I have when I go into a corporate office. And so I think what we're going to see, and, and our research is actually, um, playing out uh, uh, with this, we've got to figure out how we take the experiences that people have enjoyed at home and that they're not as willing to give up when they go back into the office. The, the call right before we did this, our head of global research was showing the research that they've done around human experience right now. And I was struck by one of the things that people have commented on during the pandemic, they were able to get more sleep. It's not that they worked less, they just actually had better sleep and got more sleep. Mm. And she was talking about how we have to figure out the good experiences people have had and define that experience before we can start redefining the office. And I thought that was pretty, that's very powerful. You know, my boss is certainly not going to get into my sleep habits, at least, you know, if he's watching this, I'm telling him don't go there. But think about that. My human experience is more than just being in the office. 
And I think that's what we have to figure out is how do we help people have a better human experience and incorporate in the capabilities into the office to make it a part of that great experience. And by the way, what Will said about sustainability, sustainability in my office building and work has an impact on my, your, and the entire planet's life. And so that's why I think this, this whole, you know, integrated thinking is so important. Or as Will started to say out, that buffet of, you know, offerings at, uh, at Thanksgiving or, you know, technology. Will, that analogy is going to stick. <laughs> but I would, I would just add one, one last thing to this, Doug, which is, you know, when you talk about humanizing buildings, the first one is actually sort of taking that human element seriously. It's, um, it's always been fascinating to me, you know, ultimately, uh, uh, we're we're all in business, right? And when you and we sell B two B, when you talk to another business, they often ask about ROI, right? And that usually means cash ROI. What is never really taken seriously um, is, you know. So let's go back to our reference to air quality. You know, it's now very robustly proven scientifically that high levels of CO two produce a, a performance a detriment to performance similar to high levels of alcohol consumption, right? And that if you uh, have a, a poor air quality environment, a poor light environment, a poor noise environment, your productivity can drop significantly. The health of your employees drops. You have more sick days, all that kind of stuff. And that has an economic impact. But it's one step removed from that economic impact. So no one takes it seriously, right? No one really thinks about that. And they're like, ah, not important, right? Whereas if it's directly sort of reducing that gas bill or reducing that electricity bill or uh, avoiding that cost, then that gets attention. And I think that... You've seen some of the global tech giants start to take the first steps for really listening to that human side as well. And then that creates a feedback loop where that becomes expected by people in the building, and, and rightly so. And so you'll start to see that change, right? And so when we talk about ESG in buildings, everyone focuses immediately on the environmental, you know, energy and gas and uh, recycling and so forth. And they forget the S bit, the social, uh, and the sort of human demands on, on that space. And, um, yeah, you just need to kind of... Uh, see how hard it is to secure one of those premium, really nice, well-situated, people-friendly office spaces in, even now, in an uncertain post-pandemic world, in central London or New York or wherever it may be, the competition is incredible because those, those properties that really take the people in them seriously attract a massive premium in terms of occupancy rates, rental yields, uh, reduced turnover, that kind of thing. So... I think a, the first step is actually a human one, which is a psychology shift towards just valuing the experience of the people in that space. As you guys were talking, I went down and I pulled up. It's, it's research that we are just releasing, so it's not widely out there yet. But I'm actually going to read a couple of things. So you, so you ask, how will the experience change? And remember, we're one of the world's largest real estate companies. Here's the words we're starting to use. If you're going to work from the office, work from home, work from anywhere... We need to be thinking about your physical well-being, your mental well-being, your social well-being. And we're starting mm. to categorize the things we do, like physical well-being will be healthy return or the air quality that we've been talking about. But when we go to mental well-being, it could be like wellness wearables, meditation rooms, you know, well-being training. You know, that's a whole different, if you're a manager, that's a whole different area. If we go to social well-being, our experience app that we've rolled out post-pandemic is to help 
when I am going to go to the office, how do I know Will's going to be in there? Because we want to collaborate together. How do we make sure? Because I want to avoid it because he never shuts up. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but, you know, I can use your IoT sensors to figure out where you are in that building. That's another different topic. But, you know, healthy eating, again, it's, it's that whole ecosystem that we need to think about more than just office. It's the people and that multidimensional well-being ecosystem, if you will, and like I, that earlier comment about look at the buffet behind you, there's a lot of opportunities there that people that have historically run offices or even CIOs, we've not always thought in those areas. And so maybe this is another thing uh, to point out. We can't do this individually. The CIO needs to work mm. with the head of HR who needs to be working with workplace. We need to bring in partners like Will into the JLL Technologies partnership to be able to leverage each other to deliver and so we're having to think broader than we've ever thought before in our history. JLL, so again, global real estate company, who does our internal real estate group report to? You would think that it reports internally to the group that provides real estate services to a who's who of the world's organizations. Our internal real estate group reports to the head of HR because we recognize mm. that it's all about the people. And that's a pretty dynamic change we've done during the pandemic. People are often surprised, but when our head of our internal real estate group walks through the benefits he's seen of that synergy, I think you're going to see more and more of, of that collaboration between IT, HR, real estate. Are, are you seeing that in your clients as well, that shift? We're starting to see a, a pretty uh, dramatic shift. And, in, in, you know, there, there's always the, you know, I typically will say real estate has historically been the back office of the back office. You know, you hear about the CFO, you hear about the CIO, you hear about the CHRO, who can name their head of real estate in their company. <laughs> That's starting to change. And we're also starting to see that the real estate groups are starting to report to HR, or in a lot of cases to the CIO, because people are seeing the opportunities for the technology enablement. And it's not just the physical workplace, it's the digital workplace. And when you pull a trigger in one, it has an impact in the other. And I think people are just now starting to realize the opportunities and the implications. Well, this is teeing up a, a funny question that I wrote down for you guys. Do you guys like the word fidgetal or is it annoying you? I can't say it actually crosses my radar that often. Um, and... Uh... Not sure I'd use it that much. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's the uh, referring to an overlap between physical and digital. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, you know, pithy. So there we go. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, it's it's right on trend, right? Like that is that is what's happening now. You know, it, it didn't, I didn't think about it annoying me until you said that, Doug. And that's probably going <laughs> to, I'm going to find reasons to be annoyed about it going forward. So thanks for that. Um <laughs> I'll tell you what annoys me on the topic of digital. It's when people go, woohoo, we're digital. And I'm like, yeah, you're using like 2020 technology, but you still are, you know, not willing to get rid of your 1980 processes. Oh. And you've got people who maybe started their careers in the 70s and they're incredible people or the 80s or the 90s. And they're not willing to adapt and change. And in some cases, you know, we need, we need to help people. It, it's a threat. Um, and I'll use myself as an example. If you deep dive and do a little bit of research on me, long career at JLL, 25 years, 15 years as a CIO. 
I hit about the 15-year mark and realized I needed a personal and professional transformation. That was the scariest, most soul-searching time in my entire adult life to this point. I hope I never have to go through anything like that again. But I had to change to be where I am today to have the successes and to actually be happier than I've ever been in my life. That's hard for people. And so often we roll out digital, woohoo, it's going to save your life. But we don't bring the people along. We don't, mm. you know, go back and change our processes. So that's what frustrates me about digital is people think it's, you know, the next big thing. It's the, it's the savior, but they're not putting the work in to bring the people and the process along on that journey. Yeah, I suppose it's not it's not something you go and we bought it, we have it, you know, like it's a it's a whole mindset. Can you can you take me back to that moment? You know, this was a pretty heavy revelation that you've gone through after such a long and successful career. What was the impetus of that? Like where was there a moment? Was it a year? Like what is the that time? Sure. Um it's a long story, so I'll try to be concise, which I don't have a talent for being. Um, so first of all, it's a journey. Good change doesn't happen overnight. Mine started in about 2017 when two CEOs were fighting over which executive coach would take me on. And it was, it was actually incredible looking back executive coaching. If you get good executive coaching, they're going to survey people all around you, and you're going to get feedback that tells you what people think you're great at, and what you need to improve. And my feedback was I had gotten away from playing to my strength. And it was true, I knew that, I saw that. And there was some there was some negative feedback, some things that I needed to work on that had dogged me my entire life, but seeing it there front and center, and it had to do with my self-worth, which a lot of people don't realize that. But I, I was struggling with that, but it was there and I knew I was gonna have to deal with it. The break glass moment, came when I attended a CIO forum. This is why it's so important to connect with your peers and people from other industries to learn from them. He was a retired CIO and he stood on uh, stage and he was talking about how if CIOs didn't help lead change in their organizations, they would not have their jobs in a couple of years. And this was pre-pandemic, but he he in some ways prophesied the pandemic. And he went through the different ways to, to bring about change. And he said, but the single most effective way to bring about change is to do glass breaking change on yourself. I left that thinking, I have to do glass breaking change. And I went back and told my my then boss that if we were gonna transform our company for these trends we were seeing, we couldn't just take the IT group we had and keep it in place, we needed to also transform. And that meant that I needed to transform my role. And so we stepped back and we built the IT group back the way it would be for the challenges we have today. That's how we ended up creating JLLT. Because we did that, we brought in Silicon Valley talent that in those early Mm. days threatened me because they're going to tell you different ways to do things. We made acquisitions of companies that came in with different capabilities We did a big investment fund. That's how we found Will and InfoGrid. So here's people outside of our control that we need to partner with. But being willing to step back and embrace that change and not be threatened by it actually put me in the position so that as I started my my new role of being more outwardly focused, playing to my strength, that was the first week 
of the COVID worldwide shutdown. Had I not gone through that transformation, I would not be standing here in front of you today. But because I took that chance, and and I didn't know this before, but I was in a position so that when the world shut down and people started saying, talk to us, tell us, we want to understand what you're seeing and thinking, I was ready for that. I was ready to take that challenge. And so I'm a, I'm a huge fan for people um, to, uh, to share, not be afraid of change. And if you ever feel like you're an imposter or you're not worthy or you're struggling with self-worth, there's more of us out there than you realize that have been very successful but have some of that same self-doubt and that vulnerability and authenticity is okay. And by the way, that is a part of the human experience. And we didn't practice that answer, and I realized I just brought it back to what we were talking about, but that's why people are so important. That's why we need to think about workplaces where people can be healthier. I can be my whole me. I can be confident in sharing what I just shared. That background and experience is part of the diversity of experience that helps us all be better. And the fact that I feel free to share that with you, that enables me to actually be a better teammate. It gives you and Will insight in how to better work with me. It breaks down some barriers too, so... Thanks for asking that question and the opportunity to share that story. Thank you for answering that question. And I can feel the the humility and the sincerity in what you're saying. And it's pretty powerful when that comes from someone like yourself. And you you put yourself out there all the time on social. I mean, you're very, you know, interactive. You're having conversations with people about work. Um, I love I love what you're doing there, and thanks for sharing that. Thank you for the opportunity. And, and by the way, to people who may be feeling that way, reach out. The only way I am where I am is because somebody got on stage, they were vulnerable about their experience, and they shared, I owe a debt of gratitude to that person. And I'm actually going to more publicly share that story and, and give credit because, you know, we all have the human experience None of us have the perfect life where everything's just perfect all the time. And understanding and recognizing that, you know, that's a part of just, you know, mental health in the workplace with what we've all been through. Showing people a little bit of grace just to be human, that that's what's going to help us all be better. Will, I'm going to ask you a magic wand question. If you had a magic wand for space and technology, what would you do with it? So, uh, this is going to align to a big passion of mine in life, right? Which is was really my driving force, my, my raison d'etre, which is um, the preservation of the natural world and the ability of humans to live sustainably alongside it. I really, truly believe that... Um, and you, you, you don't even need a magic wand for this, right? <laughs> you only need the magic wand to get everybody singing off the same song sheet if if we all had the right uh mentality and and mind state we could achieve this now um but reverse kind of decades arguably centuries of a uh, an exploitative relationship we've had with our planet right uh and return that much more to a symbiotic and um joint giving uh experience so so we've talked a lot about sustainability in buildings right and when people think about this they think predominantly about co2 and global warming and so forth and that's it's over a massive bracket of problems that's sort of number one front and center but beneath that you've got a lack of sustainability in in so many other things right whether that is uh deforestation for the food that we eat the resources we extract 
whether that is over-exploitation of the oceans, whether that's um, species in, in chronic decline or, or even extinction. Like, th this, is, this is reversible if we live in a more sustainable and enlightened way. And it's the reason I jump out of bed every morning, right, to, to, to build InfoGrid. We are able to put a serious dent in one of the biggest uh, emitters in the world, but also one of the biggest draws, right? If you don't have to build a new building, imagine all of the metals that you don't need to extract, the concrete you don't need to make, the chemicals you don't need to use, these kind of things, they really add up, right? The water uses, etc. And you extrapolate that out. So this is this is my not that small corner of the planet, 39% of global emissions. And then the other thing uh, about being an entrepreneur is, you know, you're, you're obviously striving to to make, build the best and, and most successful company you can. For me, that that comes with building a platform and a level of influence to be able to take this message to the wider global stage and, and hopefully some resource uh, to to go and actually directly implement that. Right. And and help those that aren't in the very fortunate position I've always been in my, in my life to to have a level of stability that allows me to think about these problems rather than wondering about how I'm going to survive day to day. And so how do we get to that place where uh, everybody has that level of stability, that um, uh, that freedom and ability to think about sustainability as, as something that's uh, real for them, as opposed to, we know it's a problem, but it's a 20-year-off problem or 50-year-off problem, and right now I need to put food on the table. Um, I think that one day we can get to a planet that values... 10 years more than 10 minutes right now and um that is a big mission of mine and i really think we can get there i don't think we need a magic wand uh if i had one i'd wave it and do that tomorrow and then you know i'd retire to some beautiful in sync with nature place but because i don't i'm going to work tires tirelessly through life to get us there i think this is really interesting this idea that you know at the core of perhaps what is keeping us from being more sustainable as a society, the choices we make. It's not laziness. It's not poor education. It's this idea of, you know, pr priorities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, can, can we get to a place where enough of those near-term needs are satisfied to a degree where you can begin thinking? It's like, honestly, it's like if you've got, if, if it's time to do your your, your, your five-year plan, but you got 600 emails in your inbox, you can't even, it's like, yeah. you can't even focus on that plan. You're just, you're just answering emails, right? It's, it's so, it's so hard from uh, sort of a, a privileged uh, situation as, as I'm in to imagine what the mind state of somebody who can barely afford to feed their family is, right? Of course, they're going to be willing to go and shoot an elephant or chop down an old growth tree if that's the difference between their family um, surviving uh, or not, right? And so, yeah, I can sit in my comfortable house and say, oh, well, we really need to change this. And isn't it terrible that that tree's coming down? But you need to, um, you need to, again, like it's been a bit of a uh, unplanned theme through the entire podcast, right? You need to think of the people behind that. And that's why so much has been made about the um, adaptation funds in the COP26 uh, conversations because you've got to bring people with you on this journey, right? Because there's a lot of them. Mm. And that's why I'm saying we can find a way to live sustainably. We can never go back to a fully wild planet. And it's a living and evolving organism, right? So this is the, the new normal. But I think that 
if the planet gets much uh, more unhealthy than it is now, like we're all going to suffer too. It's a symbiotic thing. So, um, yeah, um, spend my life thinking about it. Would love to have a magic wand and solve solve that, but uh, <laughs> until then, um, well, we've got. Uh, you know, it's going to be really cheesy now. You know, magic conversations like these <laughs> turn us over. <laughs> Doug, you know, it's as you were as you guys were talking. It, it struck me, I think a lot of us sit back, you know, we just saw with, with COP26, you know, government leaders, what are they going to do? And we're looking at our corporations, you know, what are they going to do? I would challenge everybody listening, what are you going to do? And it could be as simple as, you know, those blue waste bins in the offices. Have you ever asked, is that really being recycled? How is it being recycled? Could we do more? Could I do more? There's opportunities there. Have you ever asked, hey, every office building, if you look at them, did you know that when they don't occupy on the weekend, we have to flush the water pipes to keep you safe because water, when it sits, breaks down and it can make you sick? There's technology from Will's company that allows us to not have to flush the whole building. We can track usage. We can be more sustainable. There's, there's electricity opportunities. It, it, but it's beyond that. Your company is probably not going to want to be in a building that is not healthy and sustainable in the future, which means the value of that building will decrease. We're predicting that you will not be able to get financing on a building that is not sustainable in the not too distant future. The same way that you can't get financing on a building that has an asbestos in it that's not been remediated. So if you think, well, that's somebody else's problem. No, if you have any type of investments, if you drill into it, the funds invest in stocks, bonds, and real estate. So how much of your personal investments that you're using through an advisor is in buildings that are going to lose their value, meaning your retirement could eventually drop. And we're not talking about the far distant future. We're talking about in our lifetimes. And that's why Mm. what we're talking about, what Will and his company are doing, what JLL is doing, it's not this far flung. It impacts everyone and it impacts you directly in ways you haven't even thought about. I, to be honest, I have not thought about it in terms of investments and the amount of value and money that's tied up. Oh my gosh. Okay. You're going to check those investments a... later today. And then you're going to go to see if those investment managers are already giving ESG the focus that it needs. And if not, you ought to be asking those questions. What are you doing to make sure that you're investing in sustainable assets? The fact of the matter is that it's starting to make good business sense to be sustainable, right? And this is, this is just absolute music to my, to my ears. Like we live in a world now where if your building is not sustainable, not healthy, it will be worth less. Worth less. It will attract lower yields. If you are a company not taking that seriously, you will not attract and retain the best talent, and you will not get the greatest productivity out of them. So it is. It is now just a reality. It's a, a, a momentum that's carrying on unto itself. And and by the way, when we're talking, people think office buildings. Everyone listening. Go look out your window. I don't care where you live. Every single building you see, office buildings, retail, industrial, warehouses, hospitals, if it's a building, there's an opportunity to make it better through technology and to make it more sustainable. Every single one. And if you don't think there is, reach out, talk to us, challenge us. I guarantee you we can find a way to do something better in that building for your experience and for sustainability. Edward, and I I loved how you... You brought it back to, you know, if you if you want to make change, start with yourself. 
Uh, it, it really reflects back on your own personal career journey and taking that same mindset and applying it to sustainability. I love that. There's a, there's one last question I want to ask. Uh, well, well, I've got you. We're at the, at the end of this hour. I want to hear both of your bold predictions. What's your bold prediction when it comes to workplace? If, if, and, I, and I left it vague and wide open for a reason. All right, Eddie, I'll go first then. Um, so I, um, this might be slightly a, a controversial bold prediction. I think in the short run, people will revert to norm much more than we think, right? Everyone thinks this is this black swan event that's changed everything forever. It's not necessarily what I'm experiencing with many of the traditional businesses. They're just kind of like, okay, how quickly can we get to BAU and maybe how can we downsize our estate a little bit? But, uh, you know, it's um, it's not as markedly different than expected. It's, um, it's still a significant uphill battle to modernize the world of work and the world of real estate more broadly, and I think Eddie made a really important point. You know, what we're talking about here is is all commercial and indeed residential real estate. It applies to everything, and and, and our technology and, and JLLs does too. But yeah, I think um, the pace of change will not be as rapid as everybody thinks off of the back of pan, the pan, pandemic because the power of inertia is incredibly strong in real estate. It has hundreds of years. It is the oldest, the the largest, and the, the largest asset class industry, right? There's a, a lot of tugs needed to turn that oil tanker around. I like making thought-provoking, controversial statements, <clears throat> much the chagrin of my marketing and PR department. So here it goes. <laughs> Write it down. And Doug, a year, two years from now, if you want to bring me back and test, but I will bet you a paycheck I'm going to be closer to being right than wrong. So Will's right. And go back to what I said. We don't like change. We like keeping on with what we know works. But if you look at every big major event in history that's impacted the workplace, let's take the introduction of computers. We had to rewire all the offices. The introduction of cell phones. We had to get the signal up there so that you could use it. We've actually started pulling phones out because now you've got you know, mobile capability. Think about world events like 9-11. We forever changed security in buildings because of the lessons learned. Maybe not as broadly as we originally predicted, but it changed. Think about the great economic downturn. There was an impact. There's going to be an impact from this forever. The question is, how, how quickly do you act? Or do you end up in a situation where you're needing to react because you're behind competitively? And the reason I say that if more companies are going to offer remote, your competitor is not next door. Your competitor could be on the other side of the world. Hmm. And if I'm not getting a good experience from JLL, my options aren't anymore that I have to move to work for another company in my industry to another city. Perhaps I can just redirect my laptop, use the internet. Competition is going to ramp up. The, the organizations that get it right are going to put competitive pressures, not just on the talent, but, you know, look at the global supply chain issues that we're seeing, the demand that we have for warehouses, the way that we can use technology and logistics. The people that get that right are going to have a competitive advantage. And if you're not focusing on that now, you're going to be focusing on it in the future with less time and a very reactive way. So, even if you can't get the budget right now to do it, or if you've got a lot of other things going on, you need to be engaging in the conversation. You need to be thinking about it. 
you can't do it all at once. As Will said, it's a journey. We've actually made investments in teams that can help you look at all of your options and help you prioritize so that you can know what to do. And within JLL itself, through our JLL technologies, we actually have services now where you don't have to outsource your real estate. We can help you think through the 8,000 prop tech companies we're tracking right now, 8,000. If you don't have time to do that, we can talk to you and figure out maybe the right 10, 15, 20 you should look at for that fit for purpose. And by the way, Will, you're always in that list because every time I work with you, you show me something new and a new way of thinking about how to use IoT to create a better experience, a more sustainable environment. And Doug, I think that's, that's I'll, I'll end with this. This is not a one and done podcast. Come listen to this and you're done. This is the start. You've got to continually engage. You've got to keep listening. And if you brought Will and I back in a couple of weeks, we would have new learnings to share with you. We would have new thoughts. And that's why the journey, come on the journey with us. That's so important. Hey, who doesn't love a good sequel? A conversation this important deserves an encore. Will and Edward, thank you both for your time and energy today. And I'm looking forward to having you both back on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. To discover more design stories, visit us at OFS.com slash imagineaplace. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro, and you've been listening to Imagine a Place.